Every single time I record an episode of Health Speak, there's a moment where I go, oh, really? I've never even thought about that. Who am I kidding? I do that numerous times. Because the thing about this series is it allows us to listen sort of privately where no one can judge us and learn about all the different things that people can help us with when it comes to our health. Now, some of these health professionals we may not have even known existed, but others we might think, oh, I'm all over that and what you do. But then when we listen, we go, hmm, <laughs> I might have got that a little wrong. And there's a chance Abby Milroy and her colleagues fit into that bracket. Abby is a speech pathologist. So why don't people properly understand her job? It was a big thing at home, the King's Speech. That really yeah, it's a big thing here too. Yeah. yeah, so I think automatically people assume that's what we do. It's like, oh, well, oh yeah, stuttering and speech sound. And actually, I have never worked with anybody that's had a stutter, really. Like, I mean, mild maybe, but I wouldn't call myself a specialist in any way, shape or form. People just assume that we work with children um, and we work with children who have speech sound problems. So they'll say, oh, so you work with kids with a lisp. And actually, I don't at all. I work with kids, but I work with kids with disabilities and other speeches might work with kids with speech sound disorders, but I don't. It's, we're all, we've all got very different roles. And actually, I don't think I could tell you what every single speech pathologist does. Um, I'm learning as I go as well. Um, there's a lot of different jobs that we do. So what are you helping young people with? So I am a specialist in AAC. So AAC is augmentative and alternative communication the way that I explain it to people is so if you know somebody that's in that was in the media Stephen Hawking he used to communicate through an eye gaze device and it was that computer that sat in front of his chair and it didn't really look like he was doing much but he could pre-record messages and say the things that he wanted to say and actually I do that with children it's a little bit different and um, there's lots of different devices that we can use now we can use ipads we can use these fancy eye gaze devices there's lots of different things but essentially that is what i'm aiming to do is to give these children a voice when they might not necessarily communicate in a typical way this is the stuff that we just get so interested in because we don't we don't think to think about it now eye gaze does yeah. that stand for eye as in you know lots of tech things have eye in front of it or does it mean we're actually gazing with our eyes it means gazing with our eyes. So it's it's really cool, actually. There's um there's a there's only a couple of companies in Australia that actually provide these devices. The way that it works, it's a little camera at the bottom of a computer, essentially. And you know, like when you move your eye, and there's a little glint. So it's not looking at your pupil; it's looking at the glint, and it tracks where your eye moves. It's really cool. Yeah. So what kind of um, people? What kind of conditions do they have? What are they dealing with day to day that might find a device like this useful? Well, the kids that I work with, um, mostly children with cerebral palsy, they use um, when they've got issues with movement, issues with access. So by access, I mean that they might not be able to use their finger to touch something or they might not be able to show you something. But there's also, I don't work with adults as much, um, but adults can also use these devices and they might be adults who have got a degenerative condition. So that would be something like motor neuron disease or um, if somebody's had a stroke and they've got physical disabilities and maybe their speech and their 
voice or the way that they communicate has been affected, we can also use these devices for them. But there's loads of different devices. It's not just eye gaze or, or nothing. Like there's, I, I, I wouldn't know, even know where to start. Do you have a favourite? I like eye gaze, <laughs> but um, I think usually what I like to do is work with the person and find out what the best way for them is because I think often you can just be like, oh, well, they're going to be a great candidate for eye gaze, but they don't even like it themselves. So I think I like going through the process and and really working with them to find out what they want, how they want to communicate and what the best voice is for them. Now, you've mentioned that speech therapists or speeches, as we call them, um, are doing all sorts of different things for different people. Can you give us a bit of an idea of what some of those different things are that we might not think of? We, you know, we might just think it's kids with a lisp or a stutter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, speeches work with the parts of the body from kind of the shoulders up. Um, so that involves your talking, that involves your thinking, and that involves your swallowing as well. Um, we work with adults and we work with kids. It, but I don't even know where to start with it. <laughs> um, so, like, for example, my colleague, so there's two of us in our team at Engage, and my colleague Isabel, she works with people who have voice disorders, she works with children who have phonological disorders, so that's your speech sound errors, and children with who have language difficulties as well, and that would be her areas that she likes to work in. But also she works with kids with disabilities as well. I have my special interests. There are speeches who, um, and I only actually learned this recently, work within the justice system. So um, especially the youth justice system. There was um, some stats that came out in the UK. I mean, I'm from the UK, so a lot of my knowledge is from there. I think 60% of children in the youth justice system have a communication difficulty. So what we're aiming to do is get them before they get there and assess these kids in school who have a communication difficulty to stop them being vulnerable as they get older. Then we also work with adults, adults who've had a stroke, adults with dementia, adults with learning difficulties. And again, it's with swallowing and communication. It's not just the communication side and mm-hmm. um, we work with people who've got a stutter. You mentioned working with kids with communication difficulties. What kind of communication difficulties are, are kids having early on in life? You can have language delays, people have, kids have language disorders, there are children with other children with different kind of disabilities, maybe social difficulties, um, autism, ADHD, that they all affect a child's ability to communicate and we try and do is identify those kids and everybody there's a lot of research about early intervention and getting those kids into therapy as soon as possible so that when they get older they're prepared and they know how to communicate speech pathology is one of those things that it's not like you can take a pill and it's fixed you have to it's a real process um, and it's a bit of a journey as well for parents especially if they're starting with their children who are really really little but essentially it's assessment it's an intervention and um just finding out what's best for them so assume there's a fair bit of practice that your clients need to do at home is it a little bit like learning learning a new sport that you you get the the rules and the basics and then you go away and practice and then you come back the coach gives you a bit more you go away and practice yeah definitely so i spoke about the like the eye gaze device but we also have low-tech communication aid so low-tech communication aid would be like a communication book it looks like a spiral bound a5 book and it has pictures on it pretty much um but drawn pictures not like photographs and 
in a session, I'll say this is how you use it um, and I'll show them how to do it. But in order for that communication book to actually work, it needs to be out on the table, like if they're playing, it needs to be in the car with them and they need to be modeling it all the time. So that's modeling is like when you're showing the child what to do with the book and gradually that's how they learn. It's something that like a lot of the strategies I use need to be embedded. Otherwise, we talk a lot about generalization. It means that like if if a child comes and sees me weekly, for example, and they only practice the skills in a weekly session, the chances of them being able to use them like when they go to the shop or when they go to school is actually quite low because you need to practice those skills within those environments. Mm. And I try and do that as much as possible, but sometimes it's parents' choice as well. Parents sometimes just want to come to clinic, and which is totally fine, but there needs to be work on both sides. It's quite hard for us to create change without the help of we call them communication partners and that can be parents carers members of the family teachers and um, brothers and sisters and it's just the people that the child communicates with and that's how we support them so while you're working with the kids you're also kind of training those partners yeah I would say a lot of my role is training and um, it's not just like oh well we'll just make them fit in with us we need to make the environment around them and the people around them makes it sure it's inclusive does that make sense it does and I'm wondering if you've got an example of someone you've worked with where you know they've started down here and you've been through this this process with them and their communication partners and what the outcome has been that you can share it's actually really hard to think of one example like I've always worked in the area of disability and it kind of just happens and you you forget about it but there's one a child that very recently came onto my caseload here and he was actually seeing a speech pathologist somewhere else and she gave him a pod book. So a pod book is um, it's a communication book. So it's one of those books that I said with the symbols on it. Um, the low tech. Yeah, the low tech, that's it. <laughs> um, and he was really quite, he wasn't engaged. He was quite passive. And he came, we saw it in the summertime some holidays we ran an intensive therapy camp so it's like over 10 days we had nine until one intensive therapy with occupational therapy physiotherapy and speech pathology and dietetics along with some therapy assistants and we modeled this pod we used it in every single activity and he is now walking around wearing it he's actively using it not always to like request something but like even just I think we were on the swings one day and he was like um pointing to windy because it was windy and I was a bit like and you, you have to kind of be like this, this is so great but not react like oh yeah it's windy and then like turning back and go like yeah well done um but and it's just lovely to see that you when you find something that works it it just clicks the you're all of a sudden like I'm so happy this has worked and the parents are so happy and I just I just love giving people a voice that wouldn't necessarily have one if I didn't support them low tech high tech whatever it takes to help people have a voice as Abby said that's just the part of speech therapy that she does there are speech pathologists who work with lots of different people in lots of different ways if you've got any questions you can have a chat to your GP or check out speechpathologyaustralia.org.au who is the association representing speeches in Australia they've got all the information that you could want This project was funded by the Healthy Tasmania Community Innovation Grants through the Tasmanian Government. 